I wonder what you were like when you were a preschooler. Uh, can you imagine who you'd be acting like up here? Were you shy? Were you outspoken or whatever? But what a blessing it is, except you become as a child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven, and wonderful to see the innocence of children. Well, we're celebrating Mother's Day. We're taking a break from uh, 1 Peter today, and, and I've learned some things over the years about Mother's Day. One thing is we can't go over time. Uh, if we go over time, we're in trouble because all these eating and lunch appointments that have been made, uh, we want to make sure you get there. So you're going to get out on time. And uh, the other thing is just how much we need to honor our mothers. They've gone through so much. We, were, we spent nine months in their hotel called The Womb, and uh, it's incredible. In fact, I've got a picture here of a personal friend of mine who's expecting, and it's amazing. The clarity inside the womb of the, uh, the workshop of God. And when I was in my mother's womb way back, long time ago, we didn't have any technology like this. I'm not even sure they knew what gender we were going to be when we came out. I think we surprised everybody. Uh, but it is amazing uh, what we can see these days. And we honor our mothers. Not only did they probably have a challenge raising us, some of you more challenging than others, I'm sure. But they went through an awful lot of things in the uh, pregnancy aspects. I mean, morning sickness, weight gain, the discomfort of a large tummy day and night. And I'm a tummy sleeper myself. I, I can't imagine those ladies who are expecting who are tummy sleepers and they can't get on their tummy at night. And then experiencing something between discomfort and excruciating pain throughout those nine months. And then finally that difficult delivery. And I've often thought, as a man, I couldn't have done it. It's such a challenge, and, and I think, well, I, my, I take my hat off uh, to you mothers today. I think it was a mother who wrote this about men. It's the top things that would happen if men got pregnant. Number 10, all methods of birth control would be 100% effective. <laughs> number 9, morning sickness would rank as the nation's number one health problem. Number 8, there'd be pregnant mothers' parking spaces in front of malls and churches. Number seven, number seven, men would stay in bed the last two months. Number six, Congress would pass a law prohibiting natural childbirth. <laughs> number five, maternity leave would last two years with full pay and benefits. And number four, children would be kept in the hospital until they're toilet trained. <laughs> number three, men wouldn't think twins were so cute. Number two, there'd be baby formula on tap in restaurants. And the number one thing that would be true if men got pregnant, there'd be a cure for stretch marks. <laughs> well, we do appreciate each and every mother. We want to pay tribute. Another thing I learned, though, over the years of ministry, when I first went in the ministry in 1975, I thought Mother's Day was happy, happy, happy for every mother and for every child. It took me about 10 years to figure out in the church that's not that way. In fact, I believe that the service on Mother's Day at church could be the most painful church service of the year. Today, there are mothers that we think about who've passed on to glory. And today, there are people who want to be mothers and they can't because of infertility problems. And then there are those who had an abortion and they're feeling pain from that. And there are some who've had miscarriages and mothers who've lost children in death. And some mothers have children that have broken their hearts. And I think about some children have mothers who've broken theirs. Do you get the picture? There's a lot of pain today. And so if you're in pain today, and some of you are, and I know that even across our country, I mean, I think about the hot air balloon that, that uh, crashed. And there's just pain all over the place. 
we don't want to marginalize you today. I've asked Pastor Chris to come up and to pray for those who are feeling pain today on Mother's Day. Let's pray. Father, uh, we acknowledge the reality that uh, this life does indeed offer so much joy and blessing, and we, we do celebrate, and at the same time, uh, it also brings sorrow, and we think now uh, in, in a very real way about those uh, here in this place where Mother's Day is, is more of a pain than a pleasure, and I just pray for them and, and ask, Lord, specifically for those maybe that have lost a child, those that are trying to get pregnant that, that just cannot, that just something is just not happening and, and they're just hurting, they want a family. I pray that you would bring peace and comfort to those uh, who are trying to get pregnant and cannot, strength to husbands and, and endurance for wives. Uh, I, I pray even as faces flash in my mind right now about those who've lost their mom this year. And so this is the first Mother's Day without mom. I pray that you would bring them a sense of comfort and, and I pray that you'd give them the ultimate hope uh, that comes from sharing in the resurrection of Jesus, uh, the born-again living hope that you offer us in Christ. I remember and pray uh, for those uh, certainly in this room, a room this size, that have aborted a pregnancy and uh, that maybe there may be some residual pain there and, and feeling uh, like they are discarded and cannot be forgiven. I pray, Father, that there would be a sense of, of hope and forgiveness that comes from the forgiveness of Jesus on the cross. And I pray that those women that might be here that have experienced that uh, would not feel discarded but accepted because of the merits of Jesus on their behalf. Pray for uh, moms who are having a hard time this morning. Maybe moms that have lost a child, that have had to bury a child this year, something a parent that should never have to do. And so many of the, the painful realities as we live with a foot in two worlds as Christians and since our life is hid with Christ on high and yet we're also part of a a broken, hurting, sinful world. And so I pray that we would find wholeness and peace ultimately because of the work of Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Chris. Today I'm speaking on the three most important mothers in the world. And I want to take you, first of all, to the fifth commandment. So we get God's take on how we're to view our mothers and our fathers. And I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word as I look in the Old Testament to the fifth commandment and the fifth commandment restated by the Apostle Paul in the new. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you, Exodus 20, 12. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land, Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. You may be seated. The three most important mothers. Number one is Eve. Eve is the first most important mother in the world. And she's very, she's not talked about very much in churches at all, just a few times really in the Bible, so she doesn't get a lot of honor. In fact, her name Eve is only used four times in the entire Bible. The term woman is the term that's used of Eve far more often when it's used, the most prominent. In fact, woman was the first name that Adam gave his wife. Now, let me give you husbands a little tip. When it comes to addressing your wife, call her by her name or a nice pet name or honey or sugar dumpling or something like that. Don't call her woman. Woman, make my supper. 
woman, bring my shoes. I mean, no, you don't want, even though that was the first time for Adam, remember that was before the fall, and so you, you just want to call her some really nice things. Now, it's interesting what we take for granted. Much of our life is normal here. We've been married for centuries, having babies for centuries, and all those kinds of things. It was all brand new when Eve was created. Marriage was brand new. They had, no, they had to figure out that relationship. And so were babies. They had to figure out, what do you do with these little creatures? And I've often wondered if the fall wouldn't happen, would you have had diapers? I, I just don't know. But they had to figure all this out. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 25, and they were naked and not ashamed. Well, what's that about? Well, they didn't know what they were looking at. It was all brand new, and God had to teach them all kinds of things. And somehow, even before life became normal, Adam had a sense that there was this unique relationship with this woman called Eve, and that she would start a movement by which other people would come into the world. And so when he saw by his own prophetic eyes that Eve would bring many, many people in the world, he called her by her name, named her Eve, which means the mother of all living. So she was the actual mother of Abel and Cain and Seth, and by proxy, the mother of us all. Now, what I'm about to say is so critical so crucial. So turn up your hearing aid. Until about 100 or 150 years ago, this was not a problem. 100, 150 years ago, some really smart people started thinking, well, was Eve a real person? I want you to know that the Word of God teaches that Eve was a historical person, not some kind of myth, not some kind of person made up to teach some truth. And so you go to the genealogies, for instance, like in Luke, and you start with uh, in, in, in that chapter, you start with Jesus and then his father Joseph and then his father and his father, all historical people until you get back to this phrase where it says the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Pray tell, when did they move from history into myth? And then back to God. They didn't. It was all historical, and they get all the way back to Adam, and Adam was historical, and if Adam was married, and he was, then he had a wife, and if he had a wife, his name was Eve, and she was historical too. And then you go into Paul's writings. I wish I had time to go into that. But Paul is talking in, in Galatians chapter 4 when he talks in allegory. He tells us that the bondwoman and the free woman were allegories. He doesn't say that kind of thing when he talks about Adam and Eve. He treats them as historical people. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the first man, how he got here, and the woman teaching Christian headship. And in verse 8, it's talking about how the woman originated from the man. All to be taken in a historical, normal, literal kind of way. So I want you to know, we're not talking today about some idea or some myth with a woman in there called Eve. She was real. She is the actual mother of the entire human race. And I will tell you, if we cannot trust the Bible on its historicity, talking about who Eve is, there's a whole lot more stuff we're not going to be able to trust in here either. And I'm not willing to go down that, that pathway. And so, let's change gears. What do we remember this historical woman for? Unfortunately, her mistake. Isn't it a sad thing that in life we make a mistake and that's what people remember? And she made a mistake. She partook of that. But I want you to know something about this. 
When Paul teaches about Eve and her mistake, he does not say that she ruined the race. He says it was Adam who sinned, and therefore sin was imputed to the entire race. And the only way that could be corrected was not by a second Eve, but by a second Adam. And who was that second Adam? It was Jesus Christ. So we had the first Adam that messed things up and imputed sin to the entire race. And then we had the second Adam Christ. But Eve is given a pass for whatever reason God did not hold her responsible to the point of the ruination of the race. She is an important mother. She is the mother of all living. She's our first mother. And we don't want to honor on, we don't want to, to, to focus on her mistake. We want to honor her and give her gratitude as the mother of the human race. And so let's dwell on some of her good qualities. She was a beautiful woman, so said Adam. She had a great marriage. She was a great helper. She was a great mother. She loved God, and I love this. The Word of God says that Eve's offspring, Christ, in Genesis 3.15, would one day come and be the one to defeat Satan through her seed, her offspring. We will gain the victory over Satan through Christ. Isn't that awesome? Now the first crowd clapped. You can too. I mean, this is our rescue. Eve, she birthed Christ as it were. So, concerning Mother Eve... We honor her today. Had she not lived, none of us would be here. Had we been in her shoes, listen, every one of us would have failed in the garden just like she did. So instead of dwelling on what Eve did wrong, let's be grateful for all that she did right. Second most important mom is Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ, who, when Christ came in the world, gives life to all who believe. And so Mary is one of six Marys. We don't know a lot about her, especially her, early, her earlier days. The best we know about her youth is she, she was a young peasant virgin living in Nazareth. And God caught up with her. And the big centers of Mary's life are around the birth of Christ and the death of Christ. We don't know that much more about her. And so we meet up with Mary in Luke and Matthew's gospel about the birth of Jesus. And you know that story. I'm not going to go through that story about how the angel told her that she'd be carrying a son conceived of the Holy Spirit. And they were living in Nazareth. And they came down to Bethlehem for the taxes. Yeah, they had tax problems too. They had an April 15 that they had to catch up with. In this case, it was a little bit more difficult. They had to leave where they were and get into the census. Whether you were nine months pregnant or not, you're going to take that ride. And she did. And finally, that baby was born in Bethlehem. And the shepherds came. And then about a year later, the Magi came when they were living in a house. And then Herod found out that a king had been born. And if you know anything about Herod at all, you know he, he's one of the meanest dudes in all of history. And he said, every child, male child, two years and under is going to be killed. And so they were warned in a dream to leave. Yeah, that was the Mary that we're talking about. While she was pregnant, she went away and to visit her cousin who was pregnant. And her cousin was Elizabeth. And Elizabeth was pregnant six months with another famous individual, John the Baptist. And so they commiserated and were looking at the hand of God. And now the next time we find Mary is 12 years later. 12 years later when Jesus was in the temple. 
and Je this was during the, the Feast of Passover, and Jesus was confounding the leaders in the temple, and it was time to leave, and so they left, and it doesn't tell us why Mary and Joseph didn't miss Jesus for a day or so. Apparently, they thought he's with relatives and he's good, in good condition, but nobody knew where he was. And here's the thing that is so funny to me. When Mary found Jesus, what did she do? She scolded him. Can you imagine scolding the Son of God? But she did. And you know that's a good parent? Sometimes you've got to scold your kids. And if Jesus was scolded, kids, if you're in the audience, once in a while your mom's going to have to do that too. Amen. And so there we find her. The next time we see Jesus, Mary that is, she is at the wedding of Cana and Galilee, and there was a problem. The wine had run out. So he said, Jesus, do something about the wine. So Jesus turned the water into Welch's grape juice. I mean, into wine. And he solved the problem there. The next time we see Mary, she's at the foot of the cross. And she's seeing her beloved son being murdered on a cross. And her heart is broken. And the next time we see her is in the book of Acts chapter 1. She's with 119 others in the upper room praying that the Spirit of God would come and he did. Now that's about all we know of Mary, other than she was a godly woman, and we're told that she would accompany Jesus from time to time in his ministry. We're told that she has other children, and we're also told that one day she said, I am a sinner who needs a savior. And that's about all we know of this precious, wonderful lady. Now the fact that we know so little about her has plunged a lot of people into wonderment. I wonder if we could make some uh, stories that fill in the gaps. And by the time the 5th century came, there was this pile of literature that paraded as scripture, some of it, saying, here's what Mary was like in the areas we didn't know about. But that's all bad stuff. It's not the scriptures. Everything we need to know and everything God wanted us to know is in this book. You don't need to go to the bookstore. Baskin, not Baskin and Robbins, but uh, Barnes and Noble. There we go. <laughs> and uh, find out other things about Mary that simply isn't what you want to do. Now, I need to say something that's so important. The Bible stresses this. The sin nature comes through the father into the human race and not by the mother. That's the reason it was so important for Jesus to be conceived by the Spirit of God. Because had there been a human father, Jesus would not have been the spotless Lamb of God. He would have been polluted by sin. He was the only human being ever not to have a father. And the reason, as I said, is because the Word of God teaches that the sin to the human race is passed on or imputed to the children by the Father. Therefore, Jesus was able to take away our sins and we'd all be sitting here in a really bad rut today if Jesus had a human father. It was Mary. Now, it's interesting how over the years people have treated Mary differently. For instance, the Catholics tend to overemphasize her. The Baptists to underemphasize her and only tell a little story about her at Christmas time. But isn't it interesting how Elizabeth prophesied over her one day, Luke chapter 1 and verse 22, and said, Blessed are you among women. It was a prophecy that she would be honored above all women, and so she should be. She bore the Son of God. 
And so even Mary herself said, future generations will call me blessed. She, of all women in the history of the world, is the unique woman that God chose to bear the Son of God. And we need to honor her. We do not worship her. We do not venerate her. But certainly, she is to be appreciated and honored. And on this Mother's Day, concerning Mary, we honor her today. God chose her above all women who ever lived to be the mother of his son. We're grateful that she accepted the divine assignment. Mary is a great role model of faith, obedience, and humility. And now, to the last and great mother in the world, your mother and mine. The one who gave you birth. The one who gave me birth. We didn't choose her. She didn't choose us. God arranged this. And so we honor God's sovereign choice of who it was that brought us into the world, and she deserves honor. Now that word mother is used over 300 times in the Bible, sometimes to name the one who brought somebody into the world, other times to coach us on how mothers should be treated and how mothers should treat their children and how we should honor them and how they should train us and how at one day we're going to have to leave them for our own family, all those kinds of things. But I want you to know that in this room today, as I said, there are all kinds of feelings. Some of you today, as you walk in here, are thinking about your mother, and they're all warm and glowing and, and fuzzy feelings and deep feelings about your mother and how you appreciate her and how you love her. It's like Abraham Lincoln, when he talked about his mother, he said, all that I am or hope to be, I owe to my angel mother. On the other hand, some of us have ambivalent feelings about our mothers. Somewhere along the line, we experienced a wound from her, a breakdown in our relationship. And you might be angry right now, and as a teenager, you might be at home just mad at your mother because maybe she scolded you, and you don't understand right now what's in her mind, but I'm asking you to back off away from that anger. Or maybe as an adult, you have a bitter spirit in your heart because of what you feel she did to you when you were growing up, and, and in your adult years, you might believe that somehow she still is causing you problems, and you're grieving this relationship that you wanted with a mother, but you didn't seem to have and maybe don't have at this time. And I know what happened to you at the card shop last week or a week or two ago. You walked in, knew you had to get a card, and so you reached in there, and you picked it up and said, that's not true. That, that, that's, too, that's too wonderful. Pick up another, that's not true. I can't say that. If I'm going to be authentic, I, and so you went card after card after card, and finally you picked a card that didn't say that much, but it was the only card you could do because you didn't want to be inauthentic about your mother's relationship with you, and you bought that, and you felt so hollow. Can I put this in perspective? I want to put this in perspective. None of our mothers was perfect, and none of us were perfect children except me. <laughs> Can we cut them a break? If we're a teenager, you're still at home. I want you to hear something. Most moms are really trying to do the very best they can. They're not out there to make your life miserable. They're not out there to be your friend, number one. They're there to raise you in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And sometimes it ticks you off. Back up and get perspective. 
And maybe you're an adult and you felt that your mother has wounded you. May I remind you that most likely your mother was a victim too and that she was wounded. And what happens if those wounds aren't treated and healed by the Lord Jesus Christ, they're passed on to the children as well. You need to cut your mom some slack. And by all means, you need to get some help too if you can't get beyond that because you don't want to play into that dysfunction and keep that going and going into the next generation. For all of my life, I had a pretty good relationship to my knowledge with my mother. And then about a half a dozen or so years ago, all hell broke loose and we hit the white water like I never hit with my mother. And I can't go into the details of that because it wouldn't be discreet. But my wife and me and my mother and the family was just blown sky high. And, and, and we didn't know what to do. We, didn't be, we weren't able to resolve it. And I learned a boatload of lessons through that difficulty, but two of them I'll share with you. Number one, I had to learn how to honor my mother in a state of unreconciliation. And God was able to teach us how to do that. I wish I had time to. But God is able to help us honor somebody when things aren't right. The second thing I learned is because I had a, a good relationship with my mother my whole life, I couldn't relate to people who had a difficult relationship with their mother or their father. I want to tell you, I learned an awful lot about relating to people who had difficulties with their mothers because it came to my door as well. And I am grateful to say that God has turned this around for me. But I remember those mother's days, and I would have to stand up just recently, several, uh, three, four years ago, and stand behind a pulpit and preach my heart out about Mother's Day with pain in my heart. And one year, it was so bad, I had to give it to somebody else. I couldn't do it. And yet God finds a way to catch up with us. Friends, Old North Church is a church where you can be real. Where you can be authentic about your pain. It's a place where we can talk about our difficulties in life from the pulpit to the pew. And to discreetly realize that we're not alone and that there is pain in this church. And this can be a healing place because Jesus came not only to proclaim and to teach, but to heal. And not only physically, heal our hearts, Isaiah chapter 61. And some of you today need that healing. And God's will is that somehow he might be able over time to turn a corner in your relationship. So whether you're on a good footing with your mother or a difficult one. I say, Mother, we love you. Had you not lived, we wouldn't be here. You did the best you could. You weren't perfect and neither were we. But we want you to know that we love you and we thank God that he put us together. Hopefully we can enjoy each other now and together enjoy God forever. The three most important mothers in the world, Eve, she gave the world life. Mary, she gave Christ life, who, when we trust in him, gives life to those who believe. And finally, he gave life to our mothers who gave us life. As I close, I want to zero in on the last mother because that's the mother we knew. We didn't know Eve, we didn't know Mary, but this is the one we knew. And some of you, as I said, are in a great place with mom, and some of you are not. Some of you today are struggling, and you're in grief and pain, and you're not sure what to do. Well, if you're struggling today in your relationship, I don't pretend to know how to fix it. But no matter what your situation, 
I call upon you to honor and love your mother without playing into dysfunction. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me, please. Nobody looking around. How many of you, by uplifted hand, would say, Pastor Al, I'm struggling in my relationship with my mom. Please pray for me. I'm struggling. Please pray. By uplifted hand, I'm looking across the audience right now. Anybody? Yes, I see your hand. Anybody else? You want me to pray for you because it's a difficult day for you and your relationship. Anyone else? Father, you see those in need right now. I'm grateful that we can be honest in this place and deal with an issue that somehow isn't as fairy tale as we'd like it to be. There are going to be some conflicts and some hurts and wounds. And I pray, Father, that somehow you would work in and through these situations that we might be like Christ no matter what the problem and Christ in us, the hope of glory and also the hope of healed and reconciled relationships. So I pray for those who've raised their hands and I'm grateful, Father, once again, to say, say thank you, Sovereign, for your sovereignty that brought into the world Eve and Mary and the mothers that brought us here. And I pray it in Christ's name.